0: All right. Good evening, everyone. So it is this... uh, An English uh, fellow went out with an American girl. And he says to her, You look like a million pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that really is... uh, Summarizes some of what we're going to try to be talk, try to talk about today in uh, our communication course, lesson four, um, continuing from the previous lessons. So. says similar uh, this photographer is photographing a family <coughs> now the mother of the bride was not small she was quite overweight anyway trying to be polite he says to her you know lost the thing you look tremendous <laughs> <laughs> Um okay, so let's uh, begin with a video.
1: It's early evening in the Ruby Stone household. Mom is sitting calmly at her computer while Josh and Sam, avid basketball players, are going full throttle in the backyard.
2: Hello. How are you? Oh. Yes. Today? Oh, no. I understand. Yes, certainly. Yes. Send it to me. I'll take care of it. I'm so sorry. I'll speak to him. Okay. My apologies. It won't happen again. Good evening. Josh, please come here a minute. I need to talk to you. Your principal just phoned me, Josh, for the 90th time this year. It's only the third time, Mom. Perhaps. But all the other parents never receive a single call. Listen to me, Josh. You broke a window in school with a basketball during recess, right? What were you thinking? Why don't you ever tell me when these things happen? Mom! Why are you always so incredibly careless? I... You always have an excuse, but you are just too wild. Do you expect me to spend my whole life fixing the calamities you cause, Josh? You can't just wreck everything in sight, you know. Will you ever learn to be responsible? You just don't care about anyone or anything. I do care! No. You just caused an absolute disaster at school. You are not going to touch a basketball for a month.
1: Oh, no. That is certainly no way to fix things, is it? Mom wrapped up a series of communication blunders in just a minute, with one error feeding rapidly into another. Some of her mistakes are obvious, others are more subtle. But why don't we get back to this scene a little later and see if we can guide mom to a more constructive and pleasant conversation with her ball-happy son.
0: Okay, so first thing is uh, write down how many communication gaps you just saw in that video. What, What did she do wrong?
3: Mean. <laughs> the way she resolved him.
4: didn't make it two months after he broke the second window.
0: Huh? She didn't make it two months after he broke the
5: second window. <laughs> <laughs> she heavily
6: exaggerated, and she didn't, and she said, you will never learn. She didn't even give him a chance to change. Mm-hmm. She called him names.
0: Mm.
7: She
0: was criticizing a lot. A lot of criticism? All
4: the, so it's just all the time, so it's, it's it's you always do this. So instead of saying generalization like generalization, you're saying, well this has happened once or twice, but not all the time. Mm. So I don't know what <laughs> yeah.
0: mm. Okay. Okay, so we'll obviously be dealing with, with all these kinds of things as we go along. Now. So we'll tell a comical story from the Gemara. We'll start with that. This story... Um, this story is of a, a woman who isn't that smart and her husband who gets angry quite easily. So here we go. Text number one. So Abab a Babylonian immigrated to the land of Israel and married a local woman. So he's trying to tell you that what? That they came from two different cultures, cultures, locales, whatever. He said to her, cook a couple of lentils for me. She took him literally and cooked two lentils for him. He became angry. (laughs) On the following day, he said to her, cook a griva, a very large measure, far more than what one person could eat for me. She cooked an actual griva. He then said to her, Go and bring me two Butsinai, which was melons which is melons in the Babylonian dialect of Aramaic. She went and brought him two lamps, called Butsinai in the Israeli dialect of Aramaic. In anger he said to her, Go and break them on the top of the Bava, which was a gate in the Babylonian dialect of Aramaic. At that time the great sage Baba Bembutta was sitting and trying a case. So the woman went and broke the lamps on his head. But well, the point of this is not not till now, but actually what we're going to read from now. So what happened? She came to Baba Buta, one of the great uh, sages of the first century, and instead of getting angry at her. He actually simply asked her, why did she do this? To which she explained, her husband told her to do it. In, so he didn't lose his school, and instead, he, he, sent her, he sent her off with warm blessings. Actually, he said that she should have children like himself. So, when we analyze the story, what do we see? that there could be many reasons of miscommunication, right? So, first of all, okay, so he didn't lose his school, and he asked for a reason for behavior, and then he sent her off with a blessing. Okay. So, there could be reasons for communication. It could be background. You say one thing, that someone else thinks you're meaning something else, obviously. Language. Simply, the language is not the same. So, background is very important. Uh even the m- methods of speech in different places could be seen as offensive. I'll give you an example. To be honest, a lot of Australians think that South Africans um, are offensive, let's just put it that way. And part of the reason is, I'd suggest, is simply because of language. They use language that to them, to each other, doesn't is not a problem, but the Australian hears it as, well, like I say one word, you must. You must come to dinner. You must. Like, what? I don't must anything. You're <laughs> not gonna tell me what I must do. So that's a, a term the term that the South Africans use. You must. The Australian hears it and says, Huh? It's very, it's 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 very offensive. So simply different backgrounds, different languages can't have, a, you have a lot of miscommunication, and cultural differences, all that's um, included. So, what we're going to be dealing with today, these are obvious. Today we're going to be dealing with miscommunication when you don't have different cultures. When you're actually the same culture, you still have many reason, many ways of miscommunication. You know, it says elderly man, um, he's, he's, he's being reviewed by the bank, And they call him up and say, look, we're looking at your password. And we find it quite strange how long your password is. His password was Adam, Eve, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Jerusalem. So they asked him, why did you choose such a long password? He says, I was just following your orders. So what do you mean? He says, you said I should have eight characters and one capital. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's miscommunication, right? Um, and today we have a new language also. We talk to young people, LOL, and, and uh, all kinds of these abbreviations that mean different things. So, the first uh, reflection here is, try to recall a conversation that left you feeling frustrated, because, despite your best efforts person with whom you were speaking didn't really listen and failed to understand the message you were trying to convey. So today we want to talk about becoming more listenable, right? that people actually hear you. Now, um, when we aren't heard, our tendency is to blame the listener, right? Well, they didn't understand what I said. What do you mean? Why didn't? You, because it is that the, you're talking about them, but really, maybe something to do with our own communication skills. Um, now, because it's difficult to self-diagnose, so let's see if we could see this in others. Okay, so we have exercise two here. Think of a person whom you find difficult to listen to, whose opinion you tend to summarily reject and with whom you would never feel comfortable opening up? What is it about that person's style of communication that triggers the closure of your heart and mind? I really want you to think about this a lot, because this is going to be very helpful for today's lesson. And conversely, think of a person whose words you listen closely, whose opinion you tend to respect, and with whom you feel comfortable opening up. What is it about the person's style of communication that opens and warms your heart and mind? So, think about it and then share. Obviously, I don't want a name, but <laughs> if you could share it in a way that we don't know who you're talking about.
5: Hi, everyone. Thank you. Got the good news last night.
0: Thank you My uh, son had a baby girl oh. Oh. Yes Thank you <laughs> <laughs> Parents oh. It's third girl <laughs> And the mother's mom? Baruch Hashem They're home already In the day Went back home wow. right away hmm.
5: The more the easier
0: Actually, third one is is, is the hardest. They, they usually think four gets easier. <laughs> People stop at three, but uh, <laughs> anyways. So, anyone want to suggest? Want
7: I have a close friend, and I missed her a lot during the time we were away. Um, she's a good person, but the way she's asking things, it's for the sake of not gossip, but because she wouldn't tell anybody else, but it's for this. The feeling that gives to you is that it's like an inquiry, and I find it very difficult to share with her things. And she doesn't mean ill; she doesn't mean bad mm-hmm. things, but the way she's asking it. Mm-hmm.
0: So she's like um, interrogation. Interrogation. Yes. That's the word so what's what's it kind of bringing across the interrogation?
7: You shut, down.
0: Mm? you shut down. You shut down. So it's kind of would you say it's like bossy? Comes across aggressive?
7: Well, like the mother that in the first movie, that makes a statement. Okay, she knows it all. She already knows. But no, there's much more to it. Hmm.
4: People who uh, you know who just um, tell you tell you what to do without taking the time to understand the situation, so they just can give give generic advice. Without uh, you, you feel like they're having a conversation with themselves almost. Yeah.
0: Right. They don't have they don't have your understanding.
4: Correct.
0: There's no room for you. Exactly. No room for you. Hmm. Interesting.
3: No, it's like, think like sympathy is probably one word that comes across my mind, especially like when you want to share something um, and the other person is mainly taking it to himself as information rather than trying to help you. Right? Um, then that's problem. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Anyone good? Anyone number two? <laughs> Yeah, but you think of a person <laughs> who actually fits that bill. Yeah,
4: they, they, they don't talk as much. It's so less you listen more and make you feel like they're truly listening.
0: Okay. Someone who's listening. Good. That's really... Pr- Anything else? Yeah, they're kind and you don't
6: feel threatened. And they also
0: share uh, their own concerns and weaknesses. Ah, okay. Good. It goes to Lesson 1, yes. It goes to Lesson 1, exactly, which brings us right where we are right now. So, in many ways that one's style of communication could impact another person's desire to listen to you. First are what we learned already, and I heard them in what we've said. For example, um, people don't doubt words that conceal rather than reveal, which is what you just said, Cornelia. Um, number two, people just don't listen. A number of you said that. And three, some people talk at the wrong time. It could be they're saying the right thing, but they're saying it at the wrong time, as we discussed last week, right? Could be things that are just just not the time. When you say it, just because you want to say it in the wrong time, it happens. You you just want to get it off your chest, but that's not the time for that person, for whatever. So you're also not going to get anywhere. So today, in the remaining lessons, we're going to be talking about other issues in our ability to communicate or people to actually hear what we're saying. <laughs> so, uh, so, we talk about, uh, today we're going to talk about tone and word selection. Okay, talk about tone and word selection. So first of all, I would like to do this. Okay, here's, you can have a little exercise here. you to do is uh, quickly take a look at the card I'm giving you and then and read just tell me read it quickly read it quickly okay someone want to read quick yeah yeah just read let's see Quick! You're doing too slow, Maya. Yellow, blue,
3: <coughs>
0: purple, red. red, green, blue, purple, gray. It's what you need Yellow. to read. Is the words. I don't want to hear the color. Wait, the words. Yeah. You don't want to hear the
5: color. You don't want to read the words or what? That's so the opposite of what it says here.
0: Oh, what say? It says here
5: to to to, to, to oh, sorry. Say, I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: say the color. Rather sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> say the color.
5: Yellow,
0: orange, red, blue, purple, gray. Okay. Anyway, we got the point. What's the point? It's hard. Okay. Why is it hard? Something called the Stroop. The... Something called the Stroop effect. Stroop was a psychologist in America, 1930s. And he um, suggested that when you have... Your mind needs to process two independent sets of information which is the content of the word and the color, in this case, um, then it's it's confusing, right? And in most cases, what was easier? The word or the color? The word. The word, correct. In most cases, in this exercise, the word would be more than the color. However, when we speak, there's the word we're using and then the color. And the color, we'll talk about a number of different ways of color. One thing of color is uh, tone, and that's the first thing we'll talk about. So afterwards, we'll talk about other kinds of color speech. In other words, is what you say, and then is how you're saying it, and what the underlying messages might be, which is the color for what you're saying. Now, unlike this exercise, it works the exact opposite way. You might say certain words, but actually what the person's hearing is the color. So, therefore we have to pay attention to the color of our words, but sometimes we don't, right? We don't pay attention to the color of our words properly. So, here we have the content and the color. Um, okay. So there's the content of what we say and there's the color of what we say. So let's examine this. And by doing so, we'll hopefully curb habits that disrupt communication and create habits that create uh, mutual understanding and a better rapport.
5: So this ties in with with what we did the other week, of actually listening to the person rather than the words, what they're saying.
0: Yes, it ties in. Because now we're going to say about your own figuring out What you're saying, not only the words you're saying. Sometimes you don't even realize the color of what you're saying, right? right? We'll get to that soon. But let's first do something very simple, okay? So we'll start with tone. How many, how many different ways can this be understood? I never said Rachel stole my money. How many ways could that be understood?
3: I want apologetic. Another statement.
0: Okay, let's w- watch this. I never said Rachel stole my money, but someone else did, right? I never said Rachel stole my money. That's actually the basic statement, right? It's indignant. I never said it. That's the. St- it means what it says, but it's a. It's saying it in an indignant way. I never said Rachel stole my money, however, might have implied it, <laughs> right, I never said Rachel stole my money, maybe someone else did, I never Rachel said Rachel stole my money, but she might have found it, <laughs> she got it some other way, I never said Rachel stole my money, but she stole someone else's money. I never said Rachel stole my money, but you might have stolen something else. Oh my. <laughs> so, <laughs> where the tone is changes the meaning of the same sentence.
5: That's incredible.
3: Hmm?
0: No, so you, 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 you learned that. Oh, It's so it's obvious. So, therefore, when you <laughs> say something, you have to realize the tone that you're using, where you, what words you're emphasizing. This is just, this is obvious stuff.
3: Almost w- important, right, when, you, if you're getting it as a text message or getting it as an email, like it's, it's in your mind what you read, eventually.
0: Yes, that's very true. Because, because in a text or an email, you don't know which word they're emphasizing, right? Yeah. That's true. That's another reason why that's so important to be careful with that. And it could be how people are within themselves. It could be how people view you. They're reading that text so different. You're right. When you're speaking, you hear. I said, I never said. Or if I say, I never said. You'll hear my words. But in a text or an email, that's not going to be the case. Hence, the greater concern or care. Now, another thing is simply punctuation and pauses. So, let's look at this one. What does that say? is that something that may imagine you are going for a job interview and they're told this <laughs> you'll be required to work 24 hour shifts how does that make you feel
4: 4 hour
0: shifts 24 it's time. going to be torture ah time. so you're required to work 24 hour shifts or you're required to work 24 hour shifts <laughs> so um Oh, I was thinking 24-hour shifts. But you're saying 24-hour shifts. That's right. Okay, that's the third way. Good. I didn't even notice that. Um, it's like there's a fellow called Herschel Astapola. He's a, a comic from the, you know, old Jewish uh, uh, personality. So Herschel Astapola went to Shul and he wanted an a, a, a aliyah. And the Gabi wouldn't give him an aliyah. So he went and he announced in front of the ocean. the Gabbai is an idiot. The rabbi heard this, he called him over. He says, What kind of business? You can't talk like that. So he says, I want you to go and apologize. I want you to say that, that, that what you said was wrong. So he gets up on the bim and he says, The Gabbai is not an idiot.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> they said it right. And he <laughs> Okay, so now let's get a step further. So this is quite I think this is quite simple what we did till now. very simple. Now let's get to a, a much deeper perspective. And that is the context and the distinct the message we're giving from in more subtle ways. Um, so for example, if someone says to you... I remember this guy used to... I remember this guy used to like to do this. Um, just like... Give you a compliment in a, in a negative way. It's like, huh? It's confused you. Like, for example, you would say... They would... You would... Let's say said, bark at you. You're a great guy. You know? You did a wonderful job. <laughs> what is it? it? It confuses you. Like, well, what's it? What's, huh? Or... Um, Someone loses their job and they say to you, in a jovial way, Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so sorry, you lost your job, and smiling. <laughs> like, what, what is that going to be, right? It's conflicting messages between the words and the tone. So, we basically say that the non-verbal is more important than the verbal in what we're saying. So, let's see a source for this in Judaism. So we see text 2 here. Halacha says as follows, one must be careful when writing a Torah scroll, to ensure that no letter becomes attached to another. If any letter is not wholly surrounded by blank parchment on all four sides, the scroll is rendered invalid. So the simple reason is very obvious. Once you have letters touched, then they could touch a little more, touch a little more until they become confused, and then you don't know what the word is. So, to be certain that that will never happen, every single letter has to be surrounded with white parchment, otherwise the mezuzah, the two of Torah is not kosher. And sometimes you'll see if I pause, let's say when I read the Torah, I'm pausing and I'm looking, it's because I'm looking if the two letters are touching. It's because what happens, the ink sometimes bleeds. The ink is alive, so to speak, it's a uh, it's, a, it's ink on a parchment and it, it, with time sometimes it bleeds further away and two letters can start to touch and you have to separate them otherwise they're not kosher so in Shabbos you can't separate them you can't read that Torah sometimes you have to put it away take another Torah because the, ink, the, the two letters are touching each other and that could just happen something that would have been okay when you first got the Torah, but in time, not. And the same thing with film and Mezuzah. That's why you have to check it regularly. Because sometimes there can be nothing wrong. But with time, the letters can start touching. And then it becomes unkosher. Okay, so that's the simple re- meaning of it. But from a deeper perspective, we said in Lesson 1 that the essence of communication is connection. Right? Uh, so, it's a connection between the, the speaker and the listener. So the words that we use are conduits for this connection, right? To facilitate this connection. Now, you probably heard the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. What you probably don't know is not only the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, the Bible is the best-selling book every year. Every year, the best selling book of that year is the Bible, by far. Which is remarkable, right? You think of oh, the whole time, yeah, because it's, it's two and a half years, it's three and a 3,300 years old. But it's actually every single year, it's the best selling book. So you
5: can't the all the Bibles again, together?
0: Right? Sorry? You're counting all the Bibles together? Yeah, I'm talking about all different kinds of Bibles, yeah. I'm, we're not talking about these mushroom here. <laughs> uh, Okay? Now, why is that? Not so much for the words that are in it, but for the fact that it's seen as this is God's communication to mankind. Right? It's God communicating to us. So, when we read it, we feel we're connecting to God. Not because of the words. But because the message that's behind the words,
3: it's like an object or vessel.
0: yeah, it's a it's a vessel for our deeper connection. As a matter of fact, the, um, the Gemara says, "Why was Israel destroyed? Because they didn't make a blessing prior to learning Torah." So the Bach, one of the great commentaries, and Allochah says as follows: What does it mean they didn't make a blessing before learning Torah? It means they didn't attribute the holiness of Torah. Making a blessing means this is God's Torah. You learn Torah as a, as a nice logic, as a deep uh, philosophy, rather than having the feeling that this is the word of God. You always have to remember who the author is. That's what the blessing prior to the Torah learning is about, remembering who the author of Torah is. So, the Torah therefore has the details that it's communicating, stories, the laws, and then what's deeper still is that this is a way of connecting Tasha. The white of the Torah, you can't write ink without having parchment, right? If you had ink without parchment, you couldn't have words. You have to have the ink on parchment to have the words. So the white represents the deeper dimension of what the Torah is. It actually represents the infinite, godly um, wisdom that Torah is. And then the letters, each word, is particular messages. The the, the white represents the, the connection with God that is happening to the study of Torah. So the the white parchment is considered the non-verbal part of our communication. Whereas the ink is the verbal part. Yes, David. What uh, the luchas? There's the luchas is engraved in stone. So you have the stone would be like the parchment. Correct. Um... Okay. So. so, nonverbal cues convey oh, convey emotion, attitude, interest, priority, and emphasis. So, this could tell you that maybe, like you said earlier, um, does the speaker actually care about me? Is he saying words, or is he actually speaking to me? Is the I was worth sincere. That's what you said earlier, right? So.
5: It's very interesting what you just said. Sorry, Rabbi, because if you say that the white represents the spirit of the law, the meaning behind the words, if you look at what you've got there, some people would look at it and say that the, the letters, the ink, actually defines the words, but you could say that the white is actually delineating where the ink is, and that's how you see the words.
0: Yeah, true. Exactly. Exactly. And you only see the words via the, the, the white, which is means via the what's deeper, the deeper aspect of the communication, with the underlying body language or feeling that you're expressing in your words. Exactly.
7: Very
0: interesting. You expressed it very well. Thank you. Um What do you mean? They don't have the full color, the full tone to be communication. Yeah. Like if someone's deaf, they can't they can't express themselves obviously so much. They don't have that same way of being able to communicate fully. With people who aren't used to them, true. People who are used to them, they get to know them. They are able to understand them better. Well, someone who's deaf, for sure. That's for sure the case. That's one of the, the, the difficulties. Right? Um, but, I mean, we had the blind judge, and he was extremely articulate and uh, communicated very powerfully with his disability, right? So, our words convey what we consciously want to want to convey uh, express. However, our body language or our tone, which we'll get to now, um, conveys aspects of our, aspects of ourselves that we sometimes are not even aware of ourselves. We're not consciously trying to communicate this. But it actually is what comes across. So, Stephen Colby says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> In other words, what we're trying to say is, we always, when we communicate, have to focus on the main thing. What's the, com- what's the focus on the main thing? Not what we say, but communicating that the person we're talking to is actually hearing what we're saying, That this creating relationships and connections, which was what I said earlier, right? Or in Lesson 1. So, words facilitate our relationship, and it's contingent on the color of the words, more so even than the content. Okay. So the proper tone according to the Torah we see here in text number 3a first thing we have to know is the words of the wise spoken softly are heard louder than the shout of a foolish ruler so King Solomon and therefore the Rambam writes with regards to a scholar, but we can learn from this to every person, really, a scholar should not shroud or shriek while speaking, like the cattle and wild beasts, or speak with a raised voice. Rather, a scholar should speak gently to all people. Why is this important? It's interesting. It's not about personal virtue. It's about being heard. How it, the, the words of the wise spokes are heard you speak softly, if you speak benachas, um, that's when your words are heard. So when you speak, with when you shout, and you speak forcefully, comes across as arrogant or in a mocking tone, that colors what you're saying, right? And it delivers a meta-message which makes what you're saying unhearable. There's a quote. There's the one with a stronger voice usually has the weakest argument.
5: But there's another aspect to that as well. What's that? Because if someone's speaking softly, then you actually have to concentrate more on what they're saying to hear them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. If, well, that's not the point we're making, but maybe... Okay. I
5: mean, it, it works both ways. One's a plus, any other one's a minus.
0: Okay. Um. But here, by the way, I give you another nice quote. Always keep your words soft and sweet, just in case you have to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, question here. When a person speaks in a forceful tone, what meta-message is the speaker communicating? Aggression. Aggression, yeah. The being heard is more important than than the being said. being said, it's about them. It's about them, yeah.
4: It comes a win-lose situation. They want to force their point through. So. Dominance, right? Dominance.
0: Forcefulness? Mm-hmm. So this is uh, a form of disrespect, right? Yeah. An aggression, as was said. Yeah. So how is the listener likely to react? It's actually one of two ways, yeah. One is resistance, right? You don't want to be, you're not going to tell me what to do, right? You're not going to speak. To, so you resist what the other person saying. I don't want to be dominated. I don't want to be disrespected. So could be I, I would agree with the logic, but I don't hear it anymore. So I'm going to be defiant to the message between the lines, that's what I'm defying to, because your message between the lines that are aggressive, disrespectful, that's what I'm going to be defying to. We see in, a, in this next reading, four from Pirkei Avot, I mean it's a, it's a commentary of the Me'iri on the Pirkei Avot. So the Me'iri says, an irritable person ought not be a teacher. I could tell you one thing, that after the war, You know, you had P kids going to cheder, and they had the teachers quite irritable. And you know how many kids were lost to Yiddishkeit because of that. So, an irritable person ought not to be a teacher. One who is irritable, short-tempered, and overly exacting regarding the students' behavior should not teach. I remember you know, when her father took over my class. I was the first year that her father, Miriam's father, Rabbi Leader, taught. He probably was 18 only. We were 11, 12. Um, we had a tzaddik literally teaching us in, in his own person. I don't call it tzaddik, but he was a very, very special person. But he just couldn't teach us. It was like a disaster. and He would get all nervous and all flustered. And start screaming at us. He didn't stop, <laughs> and he became a joke. It was an unfortunate because he was the holy guy, and so they needed to get someone who could actually engage us. And that's when her father started teaching, um, and we loved him. Um, he knew how to, he's a, a blessed teacher, but he, he knew how to he knew how to uh, communicate with us whereas with this guy was holy and but he was like (laughs) you try to teach and then we would uh you know there's some naughty boys in the class and then he would just go nuts and scream and shout so an irritable person ought not to be a teacher one who's irritable short-tempered and overly exacting regarding the student's behavior should not teach such a harsh, harsh disposition prevents the students from seeing the beauty in the teachings, for they will be too intimidated to enter into a dialogue about the subject matter. You don't even hear it anymore because of the irritation. You don't hear the topic anymore. So we hear how God speaks to Moses face to face. We said that in lesson one. Remember, God speaks to Moses <laughs> face-to-face. Talmud tells us about this. God spoke to Moses face-to-face. Rebizek explained, God said to Moses, Moses, let us exhibit cheerful faces to one another as we study the law. As to be a guide for how this should be studied all, all the way. It's cheerful. A pleasant tone. pleasant atmosphere. Uh, is crucial to receptivity of, of the ideas being discussed. That's what Hashem says. This is how we're going to teach people how to teach Torah. So that's one result of this forceful, dominate, dominating, this um, uh, aggression form of, of communication. What's going to happen? Resistance. Second thing is submission. You might get the person to submit to your opinion you just shove it down their throat and they choose to submit good?
7: but that's why I had the problem with, with 3B
6: yes
7: it may cause a person to speak in a pierceful tone but he could be he or she could be a leader and there's a message that needs to go through and people in weaknesses do tend to be submitted to a leader somebody that his tone dictates and sets the way things
0: are. So we, in three B, we said you should not be screaming yeah, and shrieking.
7: Yeah, I know, and I, has, I had a problem, and now we're coming back to that problem here. So.
0: Well, you think he should be screaming? Um,
7: uh, no. I
3: think she, what you're saying is authority, as well, is coming loud, right? It's not really coming soft.
0: Oh, just the very fact of the authority. Yes. Just the fact of authority. Okay, so in a sense, you're saying that the authoritative person has to be doubly careful with that. And we'll see later in the lesson how that maybe is expresses itself. Good. A good point. Because you have the natural um, the very fact of your position gives it a, a, an authority that could be a difficulty. Okay. We'll get to that soon. But first let's talk about the fact. What's the negativity of submission? Number one it's temporary. They might submit now but not in the future. Um, so you're not, you have won them over tef- temporary, it will fall apart. And it also creates an unbalanced relationship, which won't last. And this is what the previous Rebbe discusses. So it's unsustainable, creates unbalanced relationship, as we see here in text number 6 from the previous Rebbe. It shows like this. The reason I'm reading because I want to get through the whole lesson without going over time. So an educator or counselor must understand, this is, by the way, an amazing piece of work, uh, Principles of Education and Guidance, which is good for parents and teachers. But this detail is actually good for everybody. So he says like this, an educator or counselor must understand not not only is it important to appropriately phrase one's words, but that the manner in which the words are expressed with politeness and patience or with agitation and derision profoundly impacts the effectiveness of the educational message. Many educators and counselors err in this area. They imagine that their emotional outbursts that are accompanied by much commotion and shouting help them achieve their educational goals. Some assault their students with harsh and angry words and berate them, berate and insult them. In truth, however, even if the pupil is temporarily upset by the fiery words of the educator or counselor, this type of education yields no lasting benefit whatsoever. This is true even if the pupil's heart contracts from pain. And he or she cries bitter tears. Any temporary positive effect will vanish like a fleeting dream. So, very obvious, right? We have to, be- we're talking about gentle speech. diburbanachas. So it creates an environment of connection. Um, and others mirror us. So if they mirror us, then we, we can have a dialogue. So you create a culture in a home or institution when you speak softly. If you if you're aggressive, then you create a culture of aggressiveness. So you scream at the kids. The kids kids will if they don't scream at you, they'll scream at each other because that culture you're 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 imbuing in the home. And this positive culture will have a far-reaching effect. okay now and we must be especially careful when we're right (laughs) Uh, so we have to maintain dignity manners and politeness in all cases especially when we're right because this doesn't give us license to speak in any manner when we're right as we see here in the next text, number seven. We've already quoted the statement of Yehudah and Taiman: be bold as a leopard, which teaches us not to be embarrassed in the face of people who mock us from serving God. That's one big thing the Shulchan Aruch has as a foundation, and if you're going to mock, you shouldn't be embarrassed in those who mock you. Nevertheless, we should not reply to our detractors with scorn, so that we don't become habituated to responding with brazenness in other areas of life. Saying so even if in this case it's, it's, it's merited to speak in, in this way, but be careful because then you're going to be st- start being someone who speaks like that in other cases when it doesn't merit. Right? So if we respond aggressively is our, is our new normal, then it will carry over into other conversations, other areas of life with devastating results. Okay, so next part in our word selection. So, if you look with tone. Now, we'll, um, now next. The words we use should be polite words. Okay? Uh, literally, our words should be polite. Um, we should not have words that imply aggressiveness. Because, again, aggressive words will... Will will elicit resistance and unhealthy submissiveness. Now, our word choices can exhibit a class of aggressiveness. Where do we see this? The story of Yaakov and Esau, right? What's the story of Yaakov and Esau? So, Yitzchak says, "I'm going to bless my son." Esau tells him, "Go and get me the goat." And I'll bless you before I die. Rifka has other ideas. She tells her son, Yaakov, you go and I'll put on the skins and you'll look, feel like Esau. Yitzhak is blind. You bring him the food and it'll bless you. So Yitzhak, so Yaakov comes in and he says, J- Jacob came to his father and said, Father, eight, eight, here I am. Isaac said, Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Asa, your firstborn. I've done as you have bid me. Please rise and sit down and eat of my game so that your soul will bless me. Then what happens is, Jacob's walking out, Asa's walking in. Asa too had made tasty foods, and he brought them to his father. He said to his father, rise father, eat of your son's game so that your soul will bless me. No? what's the difference between the two?
3: One is sweet words and the other is ordering.
0: Yeah. Word selection, right? That Yaakov uses is colored with pleasantness, with respect, politeness. Esau is the opposite, and this indeed is why Yitzchak becomes suspicious that Yaakov is not that uh, that the first one was not it was not Esau, as he says clearly, it's Jacob's voice. Um, because so, he says, uh, what did he say? The, the, uh, the voice is Yaakov's, the hands are Esau's, right? That's mm-hmm. what Yitzhak says. So what does it mean the voice is Yaakov? Rashi tells us. It is Jacob's voice, for he speaks reverently. Please rise. on the other hand, spoke harshly. Rise, Father. So it's not anything else but the words used. It was the voice of Jacob because he used Jacob kind language. Polite, well mannered language. Now so that's base that's also quite obvious. Right? So it has to be humble language and polite language. But now let's go a step further. Because this is quite obvious till now. Here we get to something that's not as obvious, and that is there's another subtle form of aggressiveness that we're not aware of where we impose our opinion on others in the conversation and that is by the by the words we choose to use we could actually seek, speak in a soft tone, speak politely say please thank you and even throw in a few compliments but nevertheless we use aggressive words that are unhearable like we see here in text number 9 So, talking tentatively simply means that we tell our story as a story rather than disguising it as a hard fact. Perhaps you are unaware suggests that you're not absolutely certain. In my opinion, says, you're sharing an opinion and no more. So that's good ways. When sharing a story, strike a blend between confidence and humility. Share in a way that expresses appropriate confidence in your conclusions while demonstrating that if called for, you want your conclusions challenged. To do so, change the fact is to in my opinion swap everyone knows that for i've talked to three or four suppliers or think that soften it's clear to me i'm beginning to wonder if see the difference why soften the message because we're trying to add meaning to the pool not force it down people's throats if we're too forceful the information will make it into the pool One of the ironies of dialogue is that when talking with those holding opposing opinions, the more convinced and forceful you act, the more resistant others become. Speaking in absolute and overstated terms does not increase your influence. It decreases it. The converse is also true. The more tentatively you speak, the more open people become to your opinions. So as we see in figure 4.1, examples of statements that we should usually avoid this is what went wrong. This is what we have to do. That won't work. This is stupid. This is the best idea. Use terms that are more like my opinion is, I think so, etc. That allows others to to listen to you. So when you use forceful language, even in a soft tone, the color is still, you're being aggressive still. It's an aggressiveness, right? Now, text number 10 is the Benish Chai explaining the Talmudic passage about Moshe speak, God speaking to Moshe face-to-face, and, let, and where, where Shem says, let us exhibit cheerful faces to one another as we study the law. So it appears to me that with these words, God gave Moses permission to express any thoughts and novel ideas that occurred to him while he learned Torah from the mouth of God. Do not say, God said to Moses, how can I express my opinion before the Almighty, the God of truth, the author of the Torah. Right? Do not say, God, said to, God says to Moses, don't think, how could I express my opinion before God. God wanted Moses to feel free to express his opinions. For he wanted Moses to arrive at the truth of his own accord, as opposed to submitting to God's superior wisdom. He, God wants us to come up to understand what he's saying. Not just to say, okay, God, you want it? Fine, I'll do whatever you want. No. He wants you engaged. He wants you involved. He wants you to agree. He wants you to say nasa, but he also wants you to say nishma. Not only I will do, but I'll also listen. I'll also understand. I'll try to figure it out. So in order to do so, God says this is how we have to talk. We have to speak in a way that we have cheerful faces to one another as we study the law, so that Moshe will be able to have room to figure it out himself. And therefore, and it maybe goes to what you said earlier, Beatrice, the Torah scholars follow God's lead. And when they give their opinion, they do so in a humble fashion as we see in text 11 we find that Allahic authorities will state an opinion while using the word Efsher perhaps this is so and then subsequent Allahic authorities will cite the opinion as the unequivocal view of the earlier sage and base their rulings on this opinion this is because Efsher doesn't necessarily imply doubt rather it is an unpretentious way to express oneself maybe right it seems to me or lani is daiti which means literally to the impoverished way of my mind literally my humble opinion my humble, my humble opinion. opinion exactly
4: sages or we're
0: talking about like rogues of we're talking about the the reshinam for sure they speak like that. The, many, the Rebbe would always comment that when the previous, when the fifth Chabad Rebbe says, we could say, when he says we could say, his son writes as a given. Now that he's saying it in a way, we could say it this way. Not in absolute terms. But his son takes that as a given. That's right. We should be taking it as a given. But they are saying it in a way that's, maybe we could say it like this. They don't really mean maybe, yeah, maybe no. (laughs) They're just saying it in a polite way that it's not forceful. So, therefore, we see here figure 4.2, words to be wary of. Very interesting. Absolutely, always, you always do X, Y, Z. Hmm. Can't? Certainly. Must. Never. Perfect. Worst. I wonder if must for South Africans also. <laughs> <laughs> certainly when they speak to anyone else, for sure not. Amongst each other, I don't know what must means. I can
6: tell you that one. Because I actually had, when I was working, I had clients that really hated... Uh, 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 a South African person would say to them, you must, you must try this. You Absolutely,
0: can't. they would hate it. Uh,
6: and, and, but what the South African you,
0: know,
6: you must meant with that was it's, this is really great. Yeah, right. You know, it's really great. And so when I explain that to certain Australian clients of mine, they actually then, oh, okay, not so... <laughs> <laughs> but, but it isn't that it, it's a way of general in, in they don't think like you must try this. They're not trying to force you to do that, they're just trying but even you, it's really great.
0: But even then and that could be an issue. So you're saying you
6: say
0: you No it is an issue. <laughs> no, it's a, it's an issue when you're being it's forceful, right? <laughs> um it's
4: almost a passionate way of saying this. So this
0: is so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But there is that element of saying, you know, of of forcing it upon someone. But we see also that even the terms, even so, we'll soon see, we're we're talking about it now, but you have to be careful of words as we're saying. Any words that comes across as forceful, even not forceful to the other person, like must is forceful to the other person. It's really bad. But always, it might not be about the other person. Perfect, you know? Yeah, so great. Say,
6: say it in that way, it's a kind of a different culture. Custom yeah, culture. okay, we said
0: that right in the beginning of the lesson. Um, so we just have to exercise caust- uh, uh, caution that it's not subtle aggressiveness. Because these words can be subtle aggressiveness uh, and therefore can shut down conversations.
4: word F sharing, right? I mean the world there are absolutes in the world as well, right?
0: Yes. It's black. Right. It's
4: not mainly black, it's black. But like the way I'm I'm, I'm understanding this is like especially with the Highlight thing is like these men who, like believe that whatever they studied or their belief in something was right. And yet they wrote in this particular way. It kind of almost to me and again it's are we missing the point? But it just seems like writing in that way, just for the sake of writing it in that way, rather than saying, well, we understand that it is as close to absolute as possible. We're just too scared to write it in that way because we kind of said we
0: shouldn't. Well, usually when they're writing in that way, they're writing their own opinions. In other words, they're not writing, as I said, anything that they're going to take from the forebears, those who came before them, they'll write more in more absolute forms. But when they ask the question and, and it's new circumstance, new situation, and they have to give their own opinion. They will very often say, F, F, sure. maybe we could see it like this," or "It seems to me." Okay. That makes
4: more
0: sense. That's, that's what we're talking about. I
4: take your, your and
0: I make that's so correct. You yeah, it's not your, it's not your aggressiveness, okay. but it's when it's your opinion, it's your aggressiveness if you say it in that way. Thank you. So. Um, so basically what we're saying is you have to be uh, very sensitive to the power of words and suggestion is that certain absolute words or words with a lot of uh, um, color can be seen as aggressive Um, you know the here? the hypothesis of the wise are dearer than the convictions of the fool so the Rebbe would you could see he, he edited works okay and you could see in, in his editing that he had this underlying uh, perspective in how he wrote things so look um, you see these two figures, 4.3 and figure 4.3 has two edits. So instead of saying, when you ask so, something of a father, it is, uh, you must first cause him satisfaction. Okay, someone wrote an article, just generally, a concept, not you. Eh? When you ask something of a father, you must first, uh, cause him satisfaction. So the Rebbe changes. When you ask something of a father, it is proper first to cause him satisfaction. You see the subtlety there, the distance, difference. Um, he changes it from a direct order to indirect statement of an ideal to strive towards. Or uh, the second example here, it says the response to numerous requires about the special instructions announced by the Rebbe in his public address. The Rebbe changes to response to numerous requires about the special suggestions. set of instructions contained in the Rebbe's public address so again he softens it so what does it demonstrate? humility he's putting the message on right? it's humility Um, it's not also it's about the Torah message it's not about the authority of the Rebbe himself and what he's trying to do is convey the Torah message right? So based on this, go back to exercise two. And when you thought of a person who was difficult to listen to, did anything that we learned till now, was that the reason that it's difficult to listen to? Huh? You see the messages we spoke about? I think some of you said it earlier. You know, they... they, they, Said aggressive, but the aggressiveness can take different forms, and we don't realize why. It just sounds aggressive to us.
1: Because these are all judgmental
6: expressions, aren't they? Absolutely always. It's a judgment.
0: Yeah. E- even if it's said in a subtle tone, right?
6: Yes. It doesn't allow for the freedom of the other person. Correct.
0: Exactly. Exactly, huh?
4: I that I think that's what. um, Miriam Miriam said that that that, that, that if the person doesn't allow uh, any room for the other person to be part of that conversation, Uh it becomes.
0: Yes. This is where actually we get to now. Um, Overuse of superlatives. Okay. before that next concept is don't state opinion as fact okay don't state opinion as fact that's that's very dangerous i mean we see now by the way in the news you have a lot of journalists, journalists are time. taking opinion and stating as fact and that's kind of a disaster in, in the news industry but um, in the Torah, we actually see where this has caused a terrible result. When the spies were sent to scout out of Israel, what was the problem? What was the, what, would, what did they do wrong? They were told to go and check out the land and give a report. So they went, they checked out the land, and gave a report. So what was the problem? So the Ramban Achman and he says like this: Text number twelve. Because Moses instructed the spies to report on whether the land was fertile or lean, they responded that the land was fertile, and it flows with milk and honey. In response to Moses' question, are there trees in the land or not, they responded by displaying the fruit of the land, as they were instructed. In all this, they spoke truthfully and responded accurately to the questions they were posed. They were also justified when they asserted that the people who inhabit the land are mighty and the cities are extremely huge and fortified. Moses, who sent them on the mission, had asked them to ascertain whether the Canaanites are strong or weak and whether they reside in cities which are unprotected or fortified. They were obliged to respond truthfully. So where was the problem? The evil, however, was in adding the word impossible, Ephesus. It is impossible to conquer the land because the people who inhabit the land are mighty and the cities are extremely huge and fortified. What's the problem here? The problem is that's an opinion. And they state it as a an fact. And when you make an opinion into a fact, that's aggressive. So
4: it really comes down to humility because when someone inserts themselves in a place like that, best a question.
0: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right? So that's number one. So we have that don't don't confuse opinion as fact. That's a another problem in, in in communication. The other thing is don't use overly over overuse superlatives. The reason is because when you overuse superlatives, you're actually making opinion into fact. Uh, very uh, best things like that, right? We have it here, four point four. Um, so. That take, it takes factual information and it adds an opinion. But without identifying it as such, right? That's what we do when we, when we uh, have o- um, overuse, su- su- uh, overuse superlatives. Right? If the superlatives do.
3: leading the witness.
0: Huh? It's like in the movies. Right. So here you have the words of four point four that you should be careful with, right? He's the smartest, the greatest, the you know filthy is the biggest, we're the best. Frankly, it's one of the reasons why some on the left hate Trump because that's how he communicates. No, seriously, his communication skills are not great, <laughs> to say the least. But one of the problems is he confuses opinion and fact. Right, and uses in- superlatives <laughs> big time. Now, when you learn who he is, then it doesn't bother you as much. But other, but normally it's 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 very aggressive. So, these improvements by not using these kinds of words actually will go a long way in having other people being open and. Having an ability to hear us. Okay. One more. So, one more issue that we have is a question. When we question, when all you need is a statement. Questions, okay? Um, So, here's the golden rule of thumb only ask a question. If you're curious about the answer, now we're not talking about rhetorical questions, but we're talking about you asking a question when you're not interested in the answer. Um, that's making a statement in a question format. No good. Make the statement. Make the statement. Don't say so. When you when you want to make when you make a statement in a question format, what are you doing? You're dishonest. Because you know already, and nevertheless you're asking the question. Why are you asking the question? You know, so it's dishonest, and it's a, it's a form of aggressive speech.
3: Well, you don't really care about the answer. Right? That's the worst.
0: Yeah, and also we have to be careful that it's not. It doesn't sound like an excusatory attack, right? So look here in text number 13. Even though we want to know why, asking for it directly is not usually a reliable strategy to get a useful answer. The reason for this challenge is that we are so habituated to associate a why question with being reproached or shamed. Growing up, for example, being asked, why did you do that, often comes with a stern look and frustrated tone. Whether or not the person who asked intended to frighten us, that is often the effect. Since in addition, we really tell people why we ask why questions, the tendency to hear them as blame and accusation is reinforced. Power differences only exacerbate this, this phenomenon, which as you said earlier. The person with more power is more likely to ask the why question of the person with less power, and more likely to be heard as blaming. The person with less power is lot likely to ask the why question in the first place, usually because of fear, sometimes because of disconnection. So, um, so here we have figure 4.5, four, four right? What do you think you're doing? Why did you do that? How could you have? What were you thinking when you... How does that make you feel? <laughs> it's it's you're being accused. Not only that, you're being accused not only as... Uh, not only that you're wrong, but you're an idiot too. Right? Well, that's what this conveys. What were you thinking? <laughs> what are you saying? What are you doing? What, you, what, are, what is the question telling us? What's the question they trying to say? Wait, have you lost your mind? You're an idiot. So how is the person who hears it going to react? I don't know a question. You could ask a why question if you really want to know. And it's not going to come across as accusatory, right? You're not going to be accusing them. Even your kid, right? You tell your kid, "Why did you do this?" Yes. Yeah. You what? Know, and you have a good reason to ask the question. But what does he hear? I'm bad. Not only I did wrong. I'm bad. I'm an idiot. So uh, he's not—he's not in a good—he's st- uh, already in the back foot. So now we have this exercise. <laughs> We're talking about teenagers, right? Parent to teenager. Your dirty clothes are all over the floor again. Why do you always do that? You don't have the slightest regard for cleanliness. Okay. How many communication flaws does this statement contain?
7: Communication flaws. <laughs> And the rest is
0: fine. Oh. How many communication flaws does this contain? Anyone? At least five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are they?
5: I see three superlatives.
0: Okay, superlatives, yeah?
5: All over the floor, always do that. Yeah, exactly, yeah? Slightest regard.
0: Yeah, very good. Uh, what else?
5: It's very critical and engenders resistance.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any opinions as facts? Yeah. Which you're one? You
4: don't have
0: exactly. Exactly. That's an opinion. <laughs> and you're saying it as fact. Good. Always is used, yeah? Um, is it a statement or actual question here? Statement. It's a statement, but it's disguised as a question, right? Why do you always do that? Uh, all right. So now reword the statement so that is non-aggressive and productive. Anyone want to suggest? Okay. <laughs> uh,
4: but it gets, it, it gets me upset um, To see the phones on the floor mm-hmm. um,
7: And I really love it I
0: really love
7: it when we have a clean room. Okay. happy um, And we try in the future To, um, to, to be a
4: bit more
0: Okay, what do you guys think? Would that work better? Huh? Yeah? Good. Uh, Sorry? Sorry? No, I'm just thinking of another way to that's it. I'm
4: trying to use a bit of one. I'm so in terms of. Uh, I, I, I get upset when I see clothes on the floor.
0: Okay, you you both of you actually did well using what we. Learned in lesson one, I get upset, right? I message rather than you message, and also emotion. I get upset. Very good.
5: Could be it by just stating fact. If you don't tidy up your room by the morning, you don't get any pocket money this week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that won't work. In, well, that might. Today's lesson might be okay, but uh, it's, lesson one told us that won't work, right? So well. <laughs> Okay, good. Let's try next one. The spouse. Honey, I've been thinking about our argument last night. It was an un- unmitigated disaster. I figured out what went wrong, and I have an idea for moving forward. I know you'll like it. Okay? How many communication flaws <laughs> does this statement contain? None. <laughs> no? <laughs> huh? Opinions. Yeah. Stating opinion as a fact. Right, it was unmitigated disaster. That's his opinion. I figured out
3: what
0: went wrong. So. Yeah, I know you like it. It's a, it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's an opinion, right? I know you like it. Uh, I figured out what went wrong. What is what's wrong with that? It closes down discussion, right? You're not asking them their opinion. You're just saying, well, I figured out what was wrong. Uh, maybe doesn't. Maybe they don't agree. Uh, unmitigated superlative and disaster is also a strong word uh, so let's reword it anyone have any ideas in rewording it
6: need, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah? Honey Yeah. I've been thinking about our argument last night and I'm really sorry that you ...that I didn't um, uh, uh, express myself
0: well.
6: Okay. Uh, and I really would like to know your opinion... ...about how we can move forward.
0: Okay, good. But he does have an idea, so he wants to share that idea. So he could say, I'd like to hear what you think about it, You right? mm-hmm. And I have a thought what might have gone wrong, and I want to discuss it with you, right? Okay, good. Now, we continue. Where did we get to? We're up to the last one, okay. Um, now, the first step to fixing all this is what? Awareness, Right? Um, to f- that you color your words through tone through word selection and so on. So it's not natural to get these new skills and you have to practice it to get it right. Well, we tried now. Some of you did well. Well, um, in time it will become second nature. But what we need to do is make sure that we invest some t- uh Uh, um, some thought into the words we speak. And it would be very good for us to formulate our message and words in advance of important conversations. And actually, that too we can learn from Moses, or from God. We're told that God rehearsed four times before teaching Moses. Now, why would God have to do that? So, It has a mystical kind of, because there's four levels each time, means it was able to go down to a lower level and a lower level until it was able to come into our reality. However, because the Medrash tells us this, it tells us a concept of rehearsing, God is perfect, but we're not. So the fact of rehearsing, or thinking through something before we communicate it, is very helpful. As a matter of fact, one of the signs of a kosher animal is it's my it chews its cud. What's what's chews its cud mean? What's it's it? What's a, what's the lesson of that to us? There's a lesson in it. What's the lesson of chewing cud? To regurgitate. To think twice before we, you know, what's the uh, uh, measure twice, cut once, or something? Yeah. <laughs> measure once, cut twice. But here, you, you think about it again and again before you're actually going to say it. So to prepare for, you know, as you're getting used to uh, using the right language and the right tone, to prepare beforehand to make sure that you do it as 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 good as possible. Um, yeah, but that's okay, that's one and twice, yeah, but that's not the content we're talking about now. Okay, uh, here's a statement by Banu Mechaya, where he says, Be not rash with your mouth, which is from uh, Kehelet. This verse admonishes us not to speak impulsively. Rather, we should speak deliberately and only after thoughtful consideration. This is the meaning of the words, be not rash with your mouth, for the rash person is one who speaks without prior deliberation. So, um, right? We should be speaking with, first deliberating what we're going to say. That's one of the ways of doing so. Now, um, here's a quote. The real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing at the right time, but also to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment." Um, before engaging in important conversation, it's important that we are calm and relaxed in the correct mood. Last week we spoke about the other person's mood, right? When I was speaking to them. That in certain moods, we shouldn't be talking to them if they're angry, if they're whatever, if they're... Uh, the state of mind. Uh, The state of mind. We have to take that into account. Same thing with ourselves. When we're in an emotional state when we're angry, we can't control how our words are going to be colored by our anger um, and then we then all kinds of negative things come out of come out of our mouth and colors our message and therefore speaking out of anger disaster I shouldn't say disaster right should I <laughs> but it, it doesn't work. Um, So here we have a fascinating thing. The Rambam believed in the golden rule. Golden mean, right? Golden mean is that everything you have to do, you know, intermediate. You can have, uh, like for example, he uses the, you should be neither excessively stingy nor overly generous. Not extreme pleasure seeker nor radical ascetic. Overly elated or extremely depressed. Disciplinarian or soft-hearted. Cowardly or rash. So everything he says, you should be in the middle path. However, when it comes to anger, he says, stay away from it completely. We see in text number 15. Anger is an exceptionally bad quality. It is proper to distance oneself from anger to the furthest extreme and train oneself not to become angry, even in response to an incident that rightfully calls for anger. Because when we're angry, we cannot judge a situation properly. And basically what's going to happen is you're going to make multiple mistakes. Would it be
4: appropriate, though, to pretend to be angry? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. With With children, for sure. Yes. Pretend to be angry. Yes. Mm. That could very well be appropriate. The Ramam says that. Never punish out of anger. Never punish out of anger. You can pretend to be angry, but never punish out of anger. You wait till you're calm before you say or do anything.
6: Does it have to be angry or can it be stern?
0: Stern is a different thing. Stern is like... Stern is okay. Sometimes. you got to be careful. We said already earlier, however, that if you speak in a stern way, they're also not going to be communicated well. So you have to be very, very careful. But it's not as bad as anger. Anger is the worst. So as in distance a... Distance from If you come across
3: who's, who's angry, Did you just distance yourself
0: completely. Probably, but... It, all? It's yeah. It's That's what we said last week. Right? We said that mostly last week. Uh, You know, the Mishnah. But now we're talking about you. When you're angry, communicating when you're angry is going to color everything you say. Even And you're going to make mistakes. And Moshe Rabbeinu, we're told, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he got three times in the Torah, we find he made a mistake. All three times was when he got angry. As we see, text 16. Moses became angry on three occasions. Each instance led him to error. This week's parsha. What did he do? This week's parsha. He hit the rock. Why did he hit the rock? Because he got angry at the Jews that they didn't believe. So the fact that he got angry caused them to do the wrong thing. So,
5: how do you not get angry at people like that? <laughs>
0: I didn't say you're not. Angry. So obviously you can get angry, but you can't. You shouldn't act out of anger. That's what we're saying. I mean, (coughs) we're not saying you shouldn't get angry, but don't do something and say something out of anger. That's the point. Um, When you're angry, an angry person can't properly assess anything. Right? Uh, You certainly can't assess. Is my tone (laughs) appropriate? (laughs) Is my word selection right? What's going to happen when you're angry? You just put it out. And whatever comes, comes, right? Uh, so important conversation when you're angry for sure not right, or even any emotional turmoil. But
4: anger is not Yeah, yes.
0: yes. wow. yes. yeah, sure, sure. On the flip side, you want to show a pleasant face to each other, right, during a conversation like we had most Moshe and God. Uh, so you need to you need to set the mood. What do you do? You don't jump into conversations. You have small talk, right? You have a minute of small talk, important conversation, a minute of small talk, bring, bring it to a relaxed mood um, so so that you could communicate in a much better way. So, we, what we're saying is formulate in your mind the words you will, figure 4.6, how to prepare for an important conversation. Formulate in your mind the words you will and will not use. Be sure that you're not tense or emotionally charged. Establish a friendly environment by opening the conversation with Pleasant Talk. Okay. Now we're going to see how the first video should have worked.
1: Earlier, we watched a rather uncomfortable scene unfold after mom was informed by her son's principal that Josh had broken a window with a basketball. Mom's subsequent communication with Josh produced shattering results. But thankfully, we've passed on the communication tips learned in this lesson, and Mom has graciously agreed to erase the past and begin again. Hello, how are you?
2: Oh, yes, today? Oh, no. I understand. Yes, certainly. Yes, send it to me. I'll take care of it. I'm so sorry. I'll speak to him. OK. My apologies. It won't happen again. Good evening.
1: Hmm.
2: He's done it again. OK, let me figure this out. How am I going to do this without... Hey, Josh, can you spare a minute? Sure, Mom. Here, come take a seat next to me. You look hot. Why don't you grab a cold drink and come back? How are things going in school, Josh? Fine. Is your team still at the top of the leagues? Of course!
7: We ain't budging
2: but it seems like the classroom windows are. Please tell me what happened during recess today.
7: Ah, it was going so well. Then I shot it hard and it broke the window. I don't even know how it broke. It never broke before. The principal was mad at me. I'm sorry, Mom.
2: I understand you didn't mean to do that, but Josh, This is not the first time you've gotten into trouble for shooting the ball hard at something fragile, right? Right. It seems to me that you tend to lose yourself when you play basketball. What do you think? So you and I are going to have to figure out a way to try and avoid these kinds of mistakes. Any ideas, Josh?
1: Um, I
7: could write Cool But Calm on the cover of my notebooks, so when I put them away for recess, I'll remember to be
2: careful. Do you think that might help? Yeah. Okay, that's a good idea then. Why don't we try that for now? But I also think that you need to lose something you like to make you remember even better.
7: Uh. Okay, I could send Mr. Prime half of my allowance for the next two weeks to help pay for a new window.
2: Make that four weeks, Josh. One month
1: and maybe add a little note.
7: Okay, mom. I'll do that.
1: That conversation is looking much healthier. Well done, Mom. You played it like a pro. She's on
7: Xanax.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So, there's a story of the the previous (laughs) Rebbe asked his father... Why is, why, is, um, why is a person created with two eyes and only one nose and mouth? To which his father responded that you created two eyes, your, left, your right eye is to look at someone else and your left eye is to look at yourself. Which means as follows, the right eye is chesed, that's kindness, right. That's how you should look at another person, with positivity, give benefit of the doubt, um, favorable light. The left eye is gvura, severity. That means that looks false and <coughs> tries to correct them. So, if other people are being aggressive or all that, ignore it. There's a concept of a statement that says kabulis um, emes Mimisha omro. Accept the truth from whoever said it. Regardless if they have other issues and how they said and what they said and their aggressive tone, etc., Here, the message, if it's correct, take it on board. However, with yourself, obviously you have to be careful on how you're giving over the message. Um, So, and if we model, you know, how to do this right and how to listen uh, listen well, then the chances are that the people we're going to speak to are also going to learn from us how to listen and how to communicate. So how do you get other people to communicate better? You can't say, okay, let me sit you down. This is the lesson I learned in JLI's course, Communication. Let me tell you what to do. Um, you're going to go home. Some of your spouse is not here. You're going to tell them, this is what you should do. <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> that's going to be lesson one of what doesn't work. Tell your kids, right? Um, model it. And then slowly you'll see how they start gaining, and then think about okay, how can I get this message across in a subtle way, in a way that's not aggressive, it's not going to be overly bearing, that's not the words are not going to be colored. And you'll see how slowly it'll it'll it, uh, help your communications. Okay.